0: You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Doug Robbins. So have you guys seen those little videos online that are the, what I call, wait for it videos? You know, where there's something that's going to happen, but you kind of have to wait for it in the midst of the video. I'll show you a couple of examples so you have a feel for what I'm talking about. Go ahead and take a look. Wait for it. I'm so doing that. (laughs) This guy excited to jump on his king's ice bed after a very long trip. Wait for it. That was a good one. So just like in these jokes, uh, in these little videos, there's some things that we have to wait for, you know? And people are tired of waiting for the end time revelation events, aren't they? I've heard it all my life. I've heard it from people and it's not a new thing to be impatient about. In fact, the same was true back in Jesus' day and in Peter's day. Peter had to address this issue when people were saying, hey, you know, uh, when's Jesus gonna return? Everybody's talking about Jesus returning and nothing's happening. Look at 2 Peter 3, 4. Where is this coming, he promised? Everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Peter says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like what? A thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The day of the Lord will be like a thief. And so, as we study Revelation 14, here's how John said something very similar in Revelation chapter 14, verse I think it's verse 12. It says this calls for. Look at those two words: patient endurance on the part of the people of God. And so when it comes to the fulfillment of the revelation, when it comes to the future events, we have to wait for it. And that's the one thing I want to leave you with today is to wait for it. I want you to tell your neighbor, wait for it. But before you do, I'll point to you when you're supposed to do it. But before you do, you got to understand how you say it. You don't just say, wait for it, but you're all Wait for it. Okay, so ready? One, two, three, go. That's pretty good, man. Let's say it all together. Ready? Wait for it. Okay, it's gonna be so awesome, that that's why we get excited about it. But as we study Revelation 14, remember there are these scenes of a vision, and we're gonna look at four scenes of things we're gonna have to wait for in Revelation 14. Look at scene number one, where we're gonna have to wait for the lamb and the 144,000. Revelation chapter 14, verse one, John says, then I looked, and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads, and they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except for the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins." They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. So, slot to unpack in that group of verses in there. So, let's break it down one concept at a time. The first thing we see there is that the Lamb, Jesus, is returning to Jerusalem. It will be a sight to behold the living God, Jesus coming back to the holy mountain in Jerusalem. And we see throughout Revelation that Jesus is pictured as the lamb of God, because he's like this sacrificial lamb that died on the cross to take the penalty for my sin and for yours. But before the lamb, we'll see this group of 144,000 people. Who are they? There are a lot of theories about it, but a lot of us think that it could be The 144,000 Jews who come to faith in Jesus during the seven-year tribulation period. You can go back and listen to previous teachings to understand a bit more about the seven years of tribulation. But there are three things about this 144,000 that I believe are transferable principles to you and I. Whether they're people from the past or people from the future, these three things, I think, apply to you and I today as well as it does to them. The first thing is, they sang a new song that only they could learn. Now, in the, in the Bible, a new song is always like a new reality, a new identity. You're being made a new creation. All things are made new by Jesus, right? It's like these people are going to be made new, and they're gonna sing a new song because of their new identity as uh, sons Of God. You have a new identity as a son or daughter of God. But one of the things that we see about this particular song that they're singing, the new song, is that it's one only they can learn. It's a unique song. It's a unique song that allows them to fulfill their purpose in the world. And here's one of the things I believe is transferable to you and I today is that you have a song to sing. Even if you're like me and you can't sing except in the shower, you have a unique story to tell, a unique song to sing to this world that I can't sing your song. Only you can sing the unique song that you've been given. You have a unique calling in the world. And you know, if you've been around City Tribe, you saw earlier on the video that we're trying to do four things here. We're trying to help people know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. If you look at that third pillar there, discover purpose, you've got to work and grow in discovering your purpose and have a laser-like focus of walking in your purpose. See, a big part of spiritual growth is continually honing and focusing in on the purpose that God's given you as he's designed you uniquely, you know? And Jesus was the master, this. he was the best. You, those of you who have read the Bible, or those of you that that haven't, can imagine that if this guy could work miracles, a lot of people would have an agenda for Jesus and stuff that they want him to do. And he could have been pulled in every direction, but Jesus stayed focused to fulfill his unique purpose. He knew exactly why he came to the earth. In fact, to walk in his purpose, it didn't allow Jesus to get married. To walk in his purpose, it didn't allow Jesus to travel outside a small geographic area. To walk in his purpose, um, you know, Jesus had to do things that other people couldn't do. You know, he was brilliant, but to walk in his purpose, he wasn't allowed to write a book. But because he walked in his purpose, there've been more books written about him than any other human being in the history Of the world, and look, he gives you a unique purpose to live by, too. But look at the second characteristic: the 144,000, they were sexually pure. Now, when we read the text and we read the part where it says they did not defile themselves with women, um, don't be offended by that, ladies. This is not the Bible trying to, you know, denigrate you in any way. When you look at the whole of scripture, you look at Jesus actually built up, lifted up, and empowered women more than anyone did. If you go back to the Old Testament, you see the Proverbs of wisdom. The voice of wisdom is a female voice. Let it be a lesson to us all, right? Uh, So then you get to the New Testament of the Bible, and you see like Paul talking about how, you know, when you're in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female. See, so we're equal, aren't we? So in light of this, let me ask this question. Does God like men more than women? No. Does God like action films more than chick flicks? Yes, I can assure you he does, right? So we just know that's going on here, right? But sexual purity in this text, in John's context, he saw people all the time who would go to these pagan temples and have sex. They would defile themselves with Pagan temple prostitutes all the time. But these 144,000 in the future will not defile themselves in that way. They keep it within marriage, but to fulfill their purpose, they're not able to get married, you know? And here's what I wanna say to some of you, because we have a fair amount of singles in our church, right? We have a lot of you singles. And don't feel less than because you're single. Because Jesus was single. It allowed him to operate in his purpose. Paul was single. It allowed him to operate in his purpose. Look at what Paul said regarding marriage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 7. He says, "I wish that all of you were as I am. He was single. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that." So, uh, we're all uniquely gifted when it comes to marriage. Some are gifted to be able to stay single and focus your life on the ministry that God's given you to do, on your purpose in life. And others of us are gifted to be married. And I know some of you who are single, you're saying, Pastor Doug, you know, I don't think I'm gifted to be single, man, you know, because Paul says it's better to marry than to burn. And Pastor Doug, I'm burning like a flaming hot Cheeto right now, right? So, uh, so, so, so be careful, you know, so we're praying for you on that, but can I tell you single, where are my singles at? Just raise your hands real quick, because I know a bunch of you are saying, keep them up just for a second. I got a word for you right now, and some of you are like, I ain't put my hand up, Pastor Doug, i don't put myself out there. What do you think this is? Okay, Here, here's what I want to share with you, singles. Wait for it. Wait for it. And you know what I mean. Wait for the right man or the right woman. I've seen desperate men do a lot of dumb things. I've seen desperate women do a lot of dumb things and make a lot of compromises that hurt them. You know how a a rooster says cock-a-doodle-doo and a desperate woman says any doodle-doo. You know what I'm saying? Don't don't say that, ladies. You know, you don't... You don't need that at all. So you wait for the right one. You don't have to compromise. Uh, you wait for the right men, ladies, and right uh, woman, uh, men. But you know, uh, also once you meet the right one, and you're not married yet, again, wait for it <laughs> to be so good. You know what I'm talking about. I won't belabor the point. But look at the third characteristic of the 144,000. They were first fruits. And that just basically means that they put Jesus first in every facet of their lives. And because of that, they will be the first fruits of the one that Jesus will gather to himself at a future judgment that we're gonna read about here in just a minute. But they'll be gathered first. But before we get to that, look at scene number two where we have to wait for the three angels. So go to Revelation fourteen. Six, where John says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation and tribe, language, and people. And he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast or its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. There's a lot going on there, there, isn't there? Encouraging passage, isn't it? But let's break it down by looking at three different angels that John writes about in this group of verses. Angel number one was focusing in on the eternal gospel. So this angel is going about the earth. Many of us believe this will happen in the future where people have been resistant to God. And so God will send an angel to tell them the eternal gospel that You know, Jesus was the one who took the wrath of God for you. You, Some of you know about, like, the Last Supper. You've seen those paintings of Jesus and his disciples in the Last Supper. And a lot of people focus in on the one cup of the Last Supper, but really there were four cups at the Last Supper because it was a Passover meal. And Jesus was drinking of the third cup, which is the cup of redemption. Basically, it means he was drinking, knowing that he would take the wrath of God. That's why we pray in Gethsemane. He said, Lord, let this cup of your wrath, of redemption, pass from me because I know this is gonna hurt. And he died as a lamb, sacrificial lamb to pay for your sin and for mine. This is the eternal gospel. And unfortunately, in the end, there'll be a lot of people who will not receive or will not drink from the cup of Jesus to receive him into their life. But look at angel number two. He's talking about the judgment of Babylon. You say, what's that all about? Well, ancient Babylon was a very evil, anti-God kind of culture. And I believe that John is not only referring just to ancient Babylon that was so anti-God, but also to Rome, who was the empire in charge of the world when John was alive, and any future empires that are anti-God. And so when the lamb comes back to Jerusalem, All of the controlling, evil, anti-God empires will fall before Jesus. Civilizations that people thought are going to last forever. They're too powerful. Their military's too great. They have too much money. They will fall before the lamb at this time. But look at angel number three. Angel number three speaks of the mark of the beast. Now, if you weren't here last Sunday, go back and watch that one, listen to it on a podcast or whatever to get caught at speed because I don't have time to go into all that. But um, the mark of the beast is not gonna be something that people don't know they're receiving. People are gonna know what it's about. So it's not like the, some conspiracy theory like the COVID vaccine is not you know, the mark of the beast, okay? It's just crazy. So, um, but what it says here is that God, in his patience, he sends an angel to warn people at that time. And the angel's gonna warn people, it's like, whatever you do, don't take the mark of the beast, okay? If it wasn't enough to know that you're like worshiping a satanic world leader, don't take his mark on your right hand or on your forehead here. And one of the things that I noticed in this text as I was studying it over the past couple of weeks. Is I'm seeing God's patience and His grace and His mercy all throughout this passage regarding judgment. Because God could bring His justice and judgment in an instant if He wanted to. But He's like waiting seven years and He keeps giving chances. He's like, oh, they don't want my love. They don't want my mercy and grace. I'm going to send an angel to bring the gospel to them. And some people, I'm going to even send them an angel to tell them not to take the mark of the beast. Do you see God's patience here? He just keeps waiting till the last possible nanosecond because he loves people so much. So what do the faithful people of God at this time, what do they think about all God's patience? I think they've run out of patience and they want God to bring justice on the earth. And that leads us to scene number three, a call to wait for it. A call to wait for it Revelation fourteen twelve. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this. Here's, here's what wait told him to write. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor. Their deeds will follow them. So how are these people at the future time having to be patient? Well, they're probably having to be patient because they've been persecuted and marginalized and it keeps going. And they're like, God, when are you gonna do something about this? I'm trying to follow you, and yet you're not protecting me from all of this. What are you gonna do? Look at the martyrs crying out in Revelation 6.10. They're saying they call out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? See? They're like, Hey, they keep abusing us. What's the deal? Avenge our blood here. It's kind of like those news stories. Have you seen those news stories where there's a trial? And there's a family that lost someone to a murder. You know, one of their family members or more, two or three of their family members may have been murdered. That's the case with Connie Bennett. 37 years ago, Connie Bennett lost her son, Bruce, her daughter-in-law, Deborah, and her seven-year-old granddaughter, Melissa. And all three of them were beaten to death with a claw hammer. The murderer was a guy by the name of Alex Christopher Ewing and with the help of DNA evidence, Christopher Ewing, Alex Christopher Ewing was brought to trial and he was convicted on all counts. Justice came. And here's what Connie Bennett said. She says, I'm very happy that it's all over. It's been a long time waiting for this. It's just like a weight has been lifted off. And even though this conviction of the murderer doesn't bring her family back, at least it gives her a sense of closure to move on with her life. And look, there are people throughout history who've experienced legit, brutal persecution for their faith in Jesus. They've even experienced death, been killed because of their faith in Jesus. But justice for the crimes committed to them is coming. In addition, the text says they'll receive a blessing. It says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. And I think that passage is inclusive of others who perhaps haven't been persecuted as badly, but are dead who die in the Lord. There's a blessing coming. And Jesus encourages us to Endure persecution and marginalization. Remember in the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are you when people persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you on account of me, for great is your reward in heaven. See, so when people are trying to cancel you because of your beliefs in Jesus, when, when people are saying snide remarks or posting angry things about you because of your faith in Jesus, he says, You're blessed. But it says you can endure with patience because someday you'll rest from your labor. And some of us get tired. I know some of you get tired of laboring for the Lord and serving him. But be patient. Wait for it because the day of your rest is coming. And I believe that Jesus is saying to some people today who are extremely tired spiritually, he's saying, hey, Son, daughter, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke or my teaching on you and learn from me. I'm angry and vengeful? No. I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls is what Jesus says. And he gives a manner of rest here and now in this reality, but even more ultimate rest in the future, see? So today... You can endure whatever you're going through because of Jesus. You can wait for it because your day of rest is coming. But look at scene, uh, here, before I show you scene four, can I just tell you that it's a chilling passage. It really is. Uh, when Jesus shows up in this next scene, it's no longer just gracious lamb of God. He comes as a lamb, all right, but with a sickle in his hands. And he's tired of the marginalization and the abuse of his kids. And he's saying, you can no longer do you if it means continuing to slaughter and murder my kids and marginalize them. Look at scene four, where we have to wait for the harvest of judgment. This is Revelation 14, 14. John says, I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, And seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the wine press outside the city, and the blood flowed out of that press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. What's 1,600 stadia? That is a river of blood that is 182 miles long. That's like a river of blood from San Antonio to Houston. And lest you feel sorry for those being judged, remember that they had chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity. God continued to call to them. He gave them every possible opportunity because of his love for him, but they continually just put up the hand and said, we don't want you. I just want to do me. I don't want you. And I believe it's like the great C.S. Lewis said that sin is man's saying to God through life, go away and leave me alone. And hell is God's finally saying to man, you may have your wish. It's God leaving man to himself as man has chosen. So those of you that have been around City Tribe Church for a while, something that you know about this church is that we tend not to talk a lot about the judgment of God and hell and all of that stuff. We tend to talk more about the encouraging topic because we know you're getting beat down. We want to encourage you. And one of the reasons that we don't talk a lot about the judgment of God is because um, we know that there are a lot of you that are new to church or perhaps some of you that have had really bad experiences at church, and I know why. you probably, some of you, gone to some churches where the guy up front loved talking about judgment and all that kind of stuff. He's taken out his own anger recovery issues on his congregation a lot of times. And a lot of church people, they feel really like superior to other people and they get angry and they have a built up anger on the inside and a lot of times they like to point at irreligious people and they say, look, you disagree with me and you're gonna burn for it, see? But this is not God's heart. You've seen throughout the whole text that I brought to you today, the is hard is no, it's the last thing I want to do. I don't want to have to do this. And you know, I can tell you, and you guys know me, I don't like talking about the judgment of God for a whole lot of reasons, but you know, I have to. It is true what the old Johnny Cash song says, that the hairs on your arm will stand up at the terror in each sip and in each sup. Will you partake of that last offered cup or disappear into the potter's ground when the man comes around? And I wanna assure you, according to Revelation 14, he'll have put it off, but they poke the bear and the man's coming round. And he'll land at Jerusalem and bring justice to the earth. Now, this Revelation 14 judgment is actually connected to another one that Jesus talked about in the book of Matthew, and that's the story of the wheat and the weeds. Or some translations will call it the wheat and the tares. And I'll tell you about that story in case you haven't heard it before. But there was this wheat farmer, and he had an enemy. And his enemy brought these weed seeds and planted them in the farmer's field. And these weeds that are called tares, they grew up and they look just like the wheat, but they're not. They're a weed. They have no value, no nutritional value. Well, in the story, one of the kind of lessons of that story is that in churches all over the world, there's the wheat, the real thing, the people that really love God, but they're also fakes. They're also tares. They're also weeds and the thing about the weeds is they look just like the wheat. They all know all the right lingo. And man, they got their son to go to meet and and all that stuff. But they're fakes. Now in the story, the farmer has these guys that work for him, And the, the hired hands say, hey, farmer, let us go out there in the field and we'll pull those weeds up. We'll take care of those fakes. And isn't that like a lot of church people? And here's how they church people will spiritualize it. They'll say, you know, I have a gift of discernment, and I can spot the fakes. I know who the fakes are. So Jesus, let me go. Just pull them up right now. Well, what does Jesus say in the story? Well, the farmer says, no. Don't you go try and pull up the weeds, because you might accidentally pull up my wheat. See? This is Jesus saying, wait for it. You wait for it, because when I come for the final harvest, I'll sort them out. And look, I'm 100% right, and you're not. So we don't need to feel like we need to go around and pick out who all the fakes are. We'll let Jesus sort that out at the final judgment. Right on? So one of the things that some people think, and here's what people do, they kind of create a false narrative about Jesus and God because of judgment. And a lot of people try to make judgment make God out to be the bad guy. But actually the opposite is true. God's judgment teaches us the depth of Jesus' love. That's exactly what it does. And I can tell you this. As a pastor, I have had to hear and see some things throughout the years that were hard to hear, hard to deal with. So one example, I'll give you a few examples so she'll understand. When you empathize with people and then you're trying to help a woman heal her marriage and her husband wants to keep sleeping around and he says right in front of her, well, you know, I just see women like different kinds of beer. Someday I feel like a Dos Equis and some days I feel like a Budweiser. It's hurtful, huh? And then there was a time where I was ministering in Liberia, Africa. And a friend of mine told me about how the rebel soldiers there murdered her parents right in front of her in the most barbarous way. And she was just a little girl, you know? And then there was the day where I had to take off work early one day because I was performing a funeral service And I broke down crying in the middle of the funeral service. And usually I can maintain and I'm okay. But you know what got me? When I'm speaking and I look over and notice the size of the casket, it was a baby funeral with a little casket. And I just, it didn't compute with me because I just thought to myself, no parent should have to bury their baby. And those are just a few things that I've experienced and I've experienced more and some of you experienced some bad things. But I want you to imagine this for a minute. I just told you a few stories of the effects of you know sin and you know living in a fallen world. But imagine all of the bad things that have happened in this world. All the murders, all the betrayals, all the abuse of every sort whether it's verbal, sexual or beating someone down, think about all of it and think about the most loving, pure being in all the universe, God, he has to see it all. If any one of us in the cameo or watching online right now had to see all of that, can you imagine the trauma that we would feel in our souls? No amount of therapy could heal it up if any one of us were to see it all. But he saw it all. And do you know that when Jesus died on the cross and drank of that third cup, the wrath of God, the physical pain of the cross was not the worst. The worst part of it was when he had to take it all upon himself and his soul. When he was dying there, for you. And if he would do that for you, how valuable must you be to him? Right? Let it move you toward him, not away from him. Look, I would agree with author Erwin McManus who said, God is not dying to send us to hell, he died to keep us out of hell. So let the judgment of God drive you to God, not away from him, because it illustrates his great love for us. I saw this news story about this little lady and a firefighter who saved her. The story read like this. It said, she is pregnant. He had just saved her from a fire in her house, rescuing her by carrying her out of the house and into her front yard. He then continued to fight the fire. When he finally was done putting out the fire, he sat down to catch his breath and rest. And a photographer from the Charlotte, North Carolina newspaper noticed her in the distance looking at the fireman. And he then saw her walking straight toward the fireman and wondered what she was gonna do. As he raises his camera, she came up to the tired fireman who had just saved her life and the lives of her babies and she kissed him, just as a photographer caught a picture of it. Would you like to see that picture? Wait for it. Here it is. Here it is. And if you're listening to this on audio podcast later, it's a picture of a mother dog who came and licked the face of the firefighter who saved her life. And I can tell you this, that sometimes dogs have a lot more sense than a lot of humans. See, Jesus is the firefighter who made a way for you to avoid the fire. Let it move you to him, not away from him, see? And God brought someone into this room or onto this stream on the internet just to let you know what this is all about, and how valuable you are to him. Don't run away from the firefighter that's trying to save your eternal life, see? So what do you say we pray and talk to him for a minute? And if you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, just talk to him right now in your own heart and mind. You don't have to say anything out loud, and there's no magic prayer to pray, but a lot of people are helped to pray something similar to this. It's like, Jesus, look, I know I've screwed stuff up and I've sinned, but in this moment right now, I'm choosing to believe that you were the Lamb of God for me on the cross. You were sacrificed to pay for me and my sin so that I could be your daughter, your son. Welcome into my life, Jesus. And for those of us that have known him for many years, we're saying, hey Jesus, We're no longer ashamed of your judgment because we know it speaks to how much you love us, the depth of your love. Thank you for that. I'm drawn to you because of it. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen, amen. Well, as we wrap up today, uh, don't forget our worship through our financial stewardship. Of course, if you're not a Christian, don't believe God, the Bible, or any of that. We totally understand if you're not going to participate in the financial part of our worship, this service is our gift to you. But those of us that follow Jesus, we're trying to follow in his ways. And he talks about bringing a first fruit, which we saw first fruit earlier here, right? Where we say Jesus, the first part of my income, first check out of the account, the first online exchange, we want it to be our my tithe, which is like a 10th and above. You know, 10%'s not very much for someone that took on the sins of the world, is it? But he's gracious and says, hey, I wanna make it even for everyone. So people who have a lot of money, the 10% is, you know, Ten percent for them and those of us that don't have a lot of money. Ten percent is the you know it's 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 kind of equalizes what everybody brings. So ten percent and above at the local starts the church, where people are believing in Jesus, being changed by the gospel, and through all the many awesome ministries that are happening at City Tribe. And I just want to say thank you to those of you that uh, you know are are regular tylers and in investing in the things of God. And someday I believe you're going to stand before Him and He's going to say, you know what. Your resources, because of your resources that you invested at this church, look at those people over there that are here today because of you and your generosity. See, so since we don't pass buckets or plates at City Tribe, there are several different ways in order to get the tithing thing done. Is it you can mail it into the P.O. box number on screen, you can text to tithe, you can go to the stations that are located near the exits of the theater. I think there's one in the cafe as well. Uh, if, you, if there's a line there, just hit the QR code and it'll take you right to our website, citytribe.church tithe, where you can uh, take care of your giving and generosity there. So thank you guys for that. Again, let's stand up. And before you guys worship through your generosity, would you allow me to speak what's called a benediction if you're new to church? Benediction is just a positive word based on the scriptures that I hope will be true of you as you leave here. Dear brothers and sisters, walk from here singing a new song A song that only you can sing, so walk from this place and sing like a bird of the wonderful grace of God. Walk from here in your purpose, walk from here in purity, walk from here moved by his love, patiently waiting, living With the end in mind, walk from here and sing the song of grace to people that desperately need it, and they'll only receive it when you sing your song of grace and mercy to them. Walk from here living with the end in mind. You guys have an awesome week. We'll see you next time. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.